Today's episode comes from a talk that I gave recently in the Buddhist Geeks Dojo and also for the UNC Asheville Mindfulness Club. And it's really on how Buddhist practice and mindfulness practice can and do exist alongside one another. The talk is entitled Mindfulness Plus Plus, and it's really on exploring a multi-paradigm approach for training the mind of how to go deep within multiple paradigms of practice while also holding that each one is a paradigm. It is a view and it contains a particular intention and leads to a particular result so that we can begin to broaden our understanding of what it means to train, what it means to practice, what it means to wake up. If you find this exploration interesting, relevant, uh, I'd invite you to check out what we're doing with the Buddhist Geeks Dojo. It's a cloud-based sangha, and it's really a place where we're trying to explore what it means to practice within multiple paradigms of both Buddhist and mindfulness-based approaches. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this, to consider these ideas, and I hope you enjoy. Buddhist Geeks, exploring the convergence of Buddhism, technology, and culture. What's the sound of one geek giving? Find out at BuddhistGeeks.com slash give. this idea of mindfulness plus plus. Um, when I was in college, I was at NC State, um, at least my first degree, my first program. And I was in the computer engineering uh, department there. And so the first year they were just throwing us into all these you know, physics and computer science and build this and do that. And my first programming class was a, a programming language called Java which is a lot tastier than it sounds. Um, and uh, during that class, which I, I think I made a C on, I totally flunked it because I was more interested in meditation at the time. But um, I do remember going through a process of learning about the different kind of programming languages and how they work and how they're structured and all of that. Very geeky, very interesting for a certain kind of mindset. right? Um, but... While I was there, I was also, as I said, med meditating a lot. And I, I realized pretty quickly that the programming language and this meditation and the, all these techniques, that there was an overlap, there's a connection there. And that uh, meditation clearly was a way to reprogram the mind, to reprogram the heart, um, to take you know, what we've been given and to work with it and change it in some way. And one of the core ways of doing that or one of the core aspects of meditation, at least the meditation I learned, was uh, this idea of mindfulness. And I know that's a central theme of this group. Um, and it's also a central practice that we do in the dojo. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, what mindfulness is, as I understand it today. It's changed a lot over the years. Um, and what I mean when I say mindfulness plus plus, which is basically uh, a reference to or a geeky bow to um, a programming language called C++, um, which is one of what are called ob the object-oriented languages, um, which you don't need to know. Um, but 
which if you're in the programming world, um, it means something. So I'll start with a definition that you guys probably all know, I would imagine. You probably talk about it some in this group. Um, John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness. And uh, he, de- he describes mindfulness as paying attention in a particular way uh, on purpose um, in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Those are some of the components of how he instructs folks to, to be mindful. Um, and what's interesting, if, if you've done any mindfulness practices that, that are taught that way, um, it's pretty straightforward, you know, that that kind of mindful awareness and you develop it with the breath and the body and you eventually expand it to include emotions and thoughts and you include everything in your experience and that sort of non-judgmental present moment, moment by moment awareness or attention. Um, and that is one very interesting and very, uh, actually new way of understanding what mindfulness is. Um, if you actually go back to the earliest referencing or mentioning of that term, um, in the Indian tradition, it was called Smriti. And in the um, Pali canon, um, the, the language that the original Buddha spoke, it was called Sati, same word, different uh, languages. And Smriti originally uh, meant to remember, um, to recollect, or to bear in mind. And the term Sati also means to remember. And there's a really important kind of core text, you could say a meditation text called the Satipatthana Sutta, Sati meaning remember, um, where the term means to remember the dharmas. And the dharmas were all these specific things about your subjective experience that were useful to notice. Um, Since this whole kind of, uh, all the lists of different types of mental qualities and all kinds of stuff. Um, and the purpose of that was to see the true nature of phenomena. If you saw these things operating in your experience and you really you know, were mindful of them or you remembered to, to see them, then you would have these kind of insights and these, this wisdom would start to come online. Um, so when we practice mindfulness with, with, with that kind of more ancient kind of meaning of to remember or recollect, uh, the question comes up for me, you know, what are we remembering to do when we're practicing? What are we remembering to come back to or to, um, to do with our attention? And from a, uh, a Buddhist viewpoint, you know, which is kind of where the mindfulness idea came from, uh, what they called right mindfulness, which is kind of a funny thing, correct mindfulness or wise mindfulness, um, that always arose in concert with two other things. And so this is the, the Buddhists were very nerdy and, and they, always, they always had these interconnecting lists, you know, where they all sort of, these ideas associate with each other and connect and are important together. But two of the things that always come with this practice of mindfulness are the view, what they call right view, and intention, right intention, or wise intention. And so um, you had to have a view, you had to have a, a, a vision for what you thought reality was about and what you were trying to wake up to and learn. And you had to have an intention of aligning yourself in that direction, you know, like this is where I'm going. And then with that intention and with that view, 
then you could remember to come back to the, to the right things, you know, to the things that actually were going to, uh, in theory, lead you toward that vision or toward that thing. And so, you know, it, in a way it sounds really basic, but in another way it was really important way of formulating like how this works, how we learn essentially. Um, and this applies, I think, across domains. It's, it's not specific to meditation, but um, what's very interesting though is that Buddhism being an old tradition, um, there isn't one right mindfulness, right view or right, right intention actually. Um, the tradition itself developed many different uh, views and many different intentions uh, over periods of time. And, and I'll, I'll share why that, I think that's important. Um, but in the, in the tradition I've practiced the most in, which is called Theravada Buddhism, um, right view, this is from a, a scholar named Alan Wallace. He said, right view focuses on the three themes of impermanence, suffering, and non-self. These are three, they call them the three characteristics of experience. And right intention is a motivation for practiced practice based on the recognition of the nature and causes of suffering. So how suffering is and how it's caused. And the yearning to gain an irreversible liberation from all of the mental afflictions that cause that suffering. So they're all about wiping suffering off the map, knowing what it's like and just nuking it <laughs> with mindfulness <laughs> and with love. Um, now that changed though later, like a, several hundred years later, this new sort of group of people um, got together and they, they had some fundamental disagreements with this vision. And for them, um, in what was called Mahayana Buddhism, right, right mindfulness is practiced together with the view of emptiness, dependent origination, and Buddha nature. So these were other teachings and other perspectives. We're not going to get into all of them. But, uh, and the intention was to achieve perfect enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings. So it wasn't any longer about waking up for yourself. It was about doing it for, for others. There was a sort of, they call that the bodhisattva vow. You know, I'm going to wake up for all beings. Um, in the next iteration or the next emerging uh, paradigm of Buddhism, the Vajrayana tradition, which was mostly practiced in India and Tibet, right view includes the pure vision of perceiving all phenomena all experience as expressions of primordial consciousness. And is the altruistic motivation to achieve perfect enlightenment as swiftly as possible for the sake of all beings. So this is the same motivation as the Mahayana practice, but it's a greater sense of urgency. It's like, no, 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 really, <laughs> like quick. <laughs> this is serious. And I would just add to that, that if you look at, you know, secular mindfulness, which I, I don't know how much that's a part of what you guys are doing here, but it, I guess it's in the name, you know, mindfulness. Um, you know, in that tradition, which is just starting to form, the, the view focuses on present moment attention and non-judgmental awareness. And the right intention has to do with developing a greater sense of well-being and an improved physical and mental health. So that's the kind of the paradigm that's emerged that's really um, in many ways uh, resonated with the needs of people today. And it also has a view and it also has an intention. And what's so interesting to me is that when we look at mindfulness from this point of view of all these different ways that it's practiced and all these different things people are trying to remember to, 
to know. Um, then we see it's not singular. It's not a single thing. It hasn't been a single thing. There are different approaches and different paradigms, different ways of, of knowing. In programming, um, I'll read a little piece to you that describes uh, another variety of programming language that they called uh, multi-paradigm programming languages. These are programming languages that could do various kinds of things. Java is one of them. Uh, a multi-paradigm programming language is a programming language that supports more than one programming paradigm. The design goal of such languages is to allow programmers, let's say to allow meditators, to use the most suitable programming style, meditation technique, and associated language constructs, models, for a particular job, considering that no single paradigm solves all problems in the easiest and most efficient way. So the design goal of these programming languages is to allow programmers to use whatever style works best for them to uh, solve a problem in the most efficient way. Um, so the problem you know, that we're solving in meditation, the job that we're doing, um, is related to where we're trying to go. What is our intention? Again, going back to the practice we did, what, why, why, are, or why are we here? Um, that in a way, mindfulness plus plus is, is my way of trying to express what a multi-paradigm programming language for the mind would look like. You know, what would it look like to treat our meditation in the same way where we can pull from various paradigms to solve the problem or to open to the reality that we're trying to understand. Um, instead of simply inheriting the, the vision for what we should be doing, you know, okay, the Buddha says I should be doing this and I should be achieving this. Okay. okay. Uh, this guy says I should be doing this and should be looking for that <laughs> and should be experiencing this. Um, okay. And then, you know, how many different visions and practices are out there um, telling us different things about what we should be achieving? Um, I like to kind of think of us as the and of the meditation tools as the, the languages or the techniques that we're learning to employ, as opposed to us kind of being fed the, the programming information and just doing what we're told. Um, so, so here are two ways of working with this kind of paradigm, this mindfulness plus plus model. Um, the first is practicing a particular, um, one of these approaches or views um, and intentions. And that includes any of the ones that I mentioned or any others, you know, yoga, we talked, we were joking about yoga, but yoga's, you know, comes out of a, a, another view or another paradigm for how to practice. Um, so that's one way of working where you can actually choose, okay, I'm going to practice with this view. I'm going to, I'm going to try this world on and I'm going to do the thing and see what it leads to. I'm going to run the experiment in my own mind. Um, because I think there's something good here and I want to see what they're talking about. Uh, another way of working with uh, mindfulness and uncover is uncovering the view and intentions we already have. So like we already came here with a particular view, even if it hasn't been clarified and even if we haven't talked it out, um, even if we haven't you know, studied it much, we've formulated some sort of vision or view for what we're doing, right? Um, 
And so, and, and likewise, we have an intention, um, clear or unclear, about why we're doing this and what we're trying to get to. So, so one way of working, instead of taking something that someone else is instructing us on and doing it, is to uncover first what the view is we already have, to question, to, to examine, to philosophically inquire, if you will, um, and, to, and to figure out what our intention is. Why is it that we're doing this? That's why I, I sort of invited that inquiry because it's, it's an open question. It, you can keep asking it and you can keep seeing it change. Um, and when you do that, if you, if you start to uncover uh, your, the view you already have and the intention you already have that you're bringing here right now, then you can, uh, one, d- sort of decide there are certain parts of your view and your, and your intention that you don't really like feel work anymore. And you can actually just let them start letting them go. Um, that's one way to do it. And then you notice that that it's changing. Um, uh, the other way you can kind of get clear on it, and you can say, "Oh yeah, this is why I'm doing this." And then you can start to look around and see, you know, what is out there in terms of approaches and teachings and people and communities and groups that are doing this. You know, where can I find the thing that lines up with what really is the reason I'm doing this? And maybe you already have that. Um, and if so, you're lucky. Um, but if these two things start to work together, you know, if if you if you then still, even if you're practicing something, you're doing something with a group, you're doing a particular thing, you can start to uncover again, why am I doing this? You know, where do I think this leads? Um, and then and then you see that it changes actually. Um, it deepens or it grows or something you thought was so fundamental. Like when I first started meditating, my reason for doing it was I wanted to know the truth, capital T. Um, and I was obsessed with that. Like that was my, that was my only, the only thing that mattered. Um, and over time, that intention changed. And I saw that it was naive to think that there was just one truth or that there, there was... Uh, there was going to be only one thing I could realize. <laughs> and, you know, as I, as I continued, I realized, oh, there's multiple things that, can, that I can understand about my mind and heart. And I can't really say one of them is more fundamental or important than the others. They've all been really important. So I could see my view changing. You know, I went from the single truth, what is truth, to, you know, wow, look at all these facets of truth. <laughs> Truthing everywhere. Um. And if we really do a practice, if we really get clear on our intention and try things that actually support that, um, it will bring us through a process of transformation, right? It will change us fundamentally. We will realize something about our, ourselves, our minds, each other, um, about the nature of our consciousness, our conscious experience that um, will stick with us, you know, for the rest of our lives. It'll be like one of the top life-changing, you know, things that we've done, um, that is possible and that does happen. So I was talking about like all these traditions, right? And how they understood view and intention um, and, and how that shapes their understanding of mindfulness of what it means to practice. Um, so I'd say this is getting a little philosophical here, but for the philosophers and the, the math plant majors um, who have to stretch their minds to have both of those worlds in attention, um, Mindfulness plus plus, right view involves a less uh, universal 
universally determined understanding uh, of what right constitutes. There isn't a single right and right view. Um, it treats our current life situation as the place from which our view and intentions arise. So our current, our lives as they are, not someone else's life um, telling us what the view is, but our own life. Um, it also recognizes that there are these training paradigms. There are these ways of training the heart and mind, um, which have been developed, tested, refined over hundreds and sometimes thousands of years. So, you know, they're, they're good technologies. They work for most people. Uh, and that we can practice those. You know, we can learn from those. We can pull from them. Um, and further, it, it invites this active questioning and inquiry, uh, like I said, into what, why is it that we're doing this? What are we here for? Um, it actually begins to open up the question of what is meditation or what is mindfulness. We, we're doing it and at the same time we're, we're questioning what we're doing. Um, so we're not letting ourselves get stuck somewhere. We're always pulling the rug out from under ourselves. Um, we're always um, you know, pulling the cushion out from underneath our own asses and letting it fall and hit the ground. Um, and the other thing it does from an institutional perspective is it distributes power back to the practitioners. Um, it, it, it tells them this is, this is in fact your journey. Um, if you want to do piecemeal, you know, that, that's fine. But, but realize you, you know, if you don't pick a paradigm that really works and go with it, at some point you won't experience the transformation that you're probably looking for. You'll just kind of you know, be confused by all of the stuff that's out there. Um, but that ultimately we are the ones that have to pick that and have to choose which direction to, to go. Um, and so in that sense, uh, we're the ones bending the arc of our own conditioning of our own, uh, programming. And finally, mindfulness plus plus, it enables, uh, a new kind of, uh, what the Buddhists call enlightenment or awakening model. And it, one, it allows an awakening that is plural in nature. It's a, it is a plurality as many awakenings. Um, it allows an increase in diversity of awakening experiences. So there are many people having many different kinds of awakenings. <laughs> it's open-ended because it's always changing. Um, it's always unfolding. It's always something new is always emerging. And that emerging is related to our social conditions, you know, to what is going on in the world and, and our relationships around us. So it's also responsive to what's hap happening, to what's happening now. And that's part of the reason I started Buddhist Geeks was to figure out what an awakening would look like, you know, in the digital age um, for me, for myself. And apparently a lot of other people have been interested in that question. And so we're all kind of groping in the dark, trying things out, hacking our own minds, um, sharing what we're learning, uh, occasionally having meltdowns and uh, <laughs> doing it together. Um, and so I see that very much also as what you guys are doing here. It's perhaps a different intention in some ways, but um, there, I imagine there's a lot of overlap and a lot of connection. So uh, I would just support your endeavors in being mindful in a plus plus kind of way. 
After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.